0: This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, I'll be talking about several things that have come to me from listeners. And I'm really thankful that people are actually listening and responding. And it's always good to hear from people who are taking to heart the things that I'm sharing or bringing up questions that they have. Today's topic comes from something that I mentioned a while ago when I was talking about unity, how we should fight for unity. And the Bible says that we should make every effort for spiritual unity. And at one point I said we should not fight for emotional unity, but we should fight for spiritual unity. And a writer asked for me to clarify that a little bit. Before I get into that topic, there's a few other things I'd like to mention. First of all, if you'd like to contact me and have any questions, comments, or any other topics you'd like me to cover, please feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I'll be sure to respond and hopefully not only respond by email, but also on this podcast. Another thing that I've been doing uh, that not many people know about, I think, and I really don't know how many people would be interested in it, but I've updated a YouTube channel. The channel is called Ask for the Ancient Paths. You can look it up on YouTube. and On that channel, I have all of my talks, and they're not really in a video form. You don't see me. There's not a camera here as I'm recording, but you can listen to my talks in that format or through YouTube. I'm going to try to keep my channel up to date. If you visit there, you'll see that practically no one has viewed those videos. So it's offered as something that might be helpful, though it may not actually be used very much. But I want you to know that it's there. Okay, the next thing, something that came from a listener. I recently talked about shalom, peace, and what it is to have peace and how God talks about peace. And a listener sent me a very funny, let me look it up here, an advertisement that her husband received. Looks like it's coming off of a phone. So I think it was a text message or perhaps an email that was sent. I can't tell. I think it was an email. So anyway, I was talking about peace, and then here comes this advertisement. And it's from an internet company. I guess I'll say it, AT&T. And it starts off mentioning the listener's husband's first name. I'll call him Doug. And it says, Doug, want Internet that brings you peace? (laughs) A little later. It says, AT&T Internet, speed and reliability in perfect harmony, experience peace of mind. My goodness, boy, the advertising culture. (laughs) You want peace? You really want peace, harmony, reliability, experiencing this perfect peace of mind? You need to get Internet from (laughs) AT&T. It's just so transparent how advertising appeals to our emotions and our selfishness. If we buy this service, we'll have perfect harmony, peace of mind, internet that brings peace. Oh, I just saw a little small thing here. It says "rest easy knowing that your home is connected with reliable AT&T internet and smart Wi-Fi." <laughs> You can rest easy. How many of you are really anxious about the speed and reliability of your internet connection? Well, needless to say, I think we can find peace in better ways than purchasing a service from a multinational company. Okay, there's that. I will file that away. (laughs) Thank you to my listener for sending that. It made me laugh, but also made me a little sad. Boy, you can really see how the world is. We have to look closely, particularly at advertising, because some of the greatest creative minds are at work in advertising, and they really know how to push buttons. They really know how to evoke emotions. And the whole purpose is not actually to provide us with peace. It's to make money for their companies. So we need to be cautious about that. All right, another thing that I ran into this week since the last talk is a quote from Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And it's the character named Interpreter who is speaking. And I'll read you the quote. And then I actually shared it with one of my listeners in an email. And the listener wrote back with something. And I'll talk about that as well. So here's the quote from Pilgrim's Progress. This is actually from part two, where Christiana, Christian's wife, is now on the road with her children. And she meets Interpreter. And one thing that he says stood out to me. If a man would live well, let him fetch his last day to him and make it always his company keeper. I'll say that again. If a man would live well, let him fetch his last day to him and make it always his company keeper. So I guess I'll give a little interpretation of the language if it's not clear. If we want to live well, we need to remember that our last day is coming, the last day on this earth. And we should always carry that with us as we go through life. And I've been thinking quite a bit recently about how Jesus came to earth to prepare us for eternity, to bring a message about eternal life, true life. And so much of what Jesus talked about was aiming our thoughts away from this world and onto the world to come, onto the future life, this eternal, blessed life. And that was a new message, turning our hearts towards this new life to come and away from life on this earth. Even though Jesus very often used parables, images that related to the day-to-day activities of the people, it was always to turn our hearts towards eternity, towards him and towards eternity. So I'll read this quote again. If a man would live well, let him fetch his last day to him and make it always his company keeper. Well, I was exchanging emails with one of my listeners, and this came to mind, and so I just wrote it down at the end of the email there. And the listener wrote back, Thank you for the quote. I always need that reminder. I definitely feel the tension between putting down roots in a place and at the same time remembering that all this will pass away. I want to say here that the listener is in the middle of building a home and has a couple of young kids, and she and her husband are going to be moving and setting up house. So she's very aware of putting down roots and building a home where her family will grow. And to continue her thought here, I'm also trying to remember that God shows his kindness not only through exciting times like these, but also through hardship. External circumstances differ, but the same God extends the same kindness. There are lots of unknowns, but his undeserved kindness is the constant. I think that's very good. If a man would live well, let him fetch his last day to him and make it always his company keeper. Amen. All right, so now I'll continue on with what I intend to talk about today. And as I mentioned, this topic comes from a response I received from a listener. She asked me to share a little bit more about spiritual versus emotional unity something that I mentioned in a previous talk. So today I'll share a few thoughts about that and I hope it's helpful. And it helped me to think about it a little bit more deeply. Our culture, Western culture, emphasizes what feels good. It values emotion. There's this idea or a sense that what feels good is actually true and right. And anything that makes me feel bad is something that is not true. It can't be true if it makes me feel bad. <laughs> so we have to be very, very, very careful about that attitude. That is the Western culture's idea of what is good and true and right. And we as believers, as followers of Jesus, we should not ever allow ourselves to get drawn into that worldview. As a matter of fact, scripturally, there are quite a few things that will be very difficult for followers of Jesus, and we are encouraged to consider it a joy when we face various difficulties. I'll quote now something that I've shared before quite a few times, something that William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said back in the late 1940s, could have been the early 50s. and He said, a sentimental and hedonistic generation has no room for wrath in its conception of God. The thing that I emphasize here is his assessment of the culture back in the 40s as being sentimental and hedonistic, driven by emotion and driven by pleasure, a desire to please self. And as I've said before, if that's the way British culture was back in the 1940s, we are much further down that road now sentimental and hedonistic. Now, I want to take a little bit of time to look at Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse one. And this is where I get a lot of my understanding about spiritual unity and doctrinal unity and what God means when he says that we are to fight for spiritual unity. So let's start in verse one of chapter four, and I'll read an extended section here and then go back and talk about it a little bit. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's going through verse 13. And I'll point out a few things here that Paul is saying, and I'll share how this has helped me a lot as I've grown in the Lord and have experienced so many different aspects of body life. First of all, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling. And then he goes on to say how to do that what are some aspects of what it is to live a worthy life. And he says in verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, I've shared before that this is a life verse for my wife and myself in our marriage. This is a foundational verse, actually Ephesians four verses two and three, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace so for those of you who are married i encourage you to talk to your spouse about this and say you know what we're one person in the eyes of the lord and we need to be humble and gentle and patient and loving and we need to make an effort to keep the unity of the spirit in a peaceful way so here we see paul saying make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And he goes on to talk about unity, oneness, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's all unity. And God is over all and through all and in all. And then he says in verse seven, to each one of us, each of us individuals, we've been given a grace as Christ wants to give us grace. And then he quotes Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. Paul is saying to each of us, God has given grace. And when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. And then there's a little parenthetical section here in verses 9 and 10. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended? So it's Uh, Just a quick aside saying, well, he ascended, but that means that he actually came down from somewhere and then he went back. And Paul also makes that reference in other of his writings, that Jesus surrendered his equality with God, came down, went very low, as a matter of fact, became nothing, and therefore he was exalted to the very highest place. As we continue on in verse 11, Paul talks about what these gifts are. As to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He gave gifts to men. Verse 11 It was He who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So I want to underscore something here about church leadership. People who are gifted, they are actually gifts to the church. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and God has given these gifted people to the church to prepare the church for the works of service. God didn't give these gifted people to the church to do the spiritual work of the church. They're there to help everyone work in service and be connected to the body of Christ. Paul says that the body of Christ may be built up. And then here's the key until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So, here in the first part of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, there are two kinds of unity mentioned. First is a unity of the Spirit, and then later a unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul says, become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There are a few places in the New Testament where this phrase is used make every effort. And here's one of those few places to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, to keep it, to fight hard for spiritual unity. And later, as we are built up, as we become more mature, then we can all reach a unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Might say that in terms of a doctrinal unity and an experiential unity of how God works, because different people are at different places in their walk with the Lord. So we got to fight hard to keep unity of the Spirit, and realize that in other ways we may not have full unity, but we're growing up into it. We'll slowly over time become more mature, and we'll attain the fullness of Christ, and we'll have this unity in the knowledge of Jesus and unity in the faith. That would be doctrinally and experientially, I believe. Now, I want to underscore here that the Bible says that we should live in harmony. And I've said it before, musically, two notes are harmonious when they sound good together. The scripture does not tell us to be the same as everyone around us but it does encourage us to be harmonic, to live in harmony with people around us. God doesn't want us to be in unison, one plain note that is the same for everyone, everywhere. We live in harmony. Now, to get to the point, there is a spiritual unity, but a lot of people spend a lot of time looking for emotional unity. I think in some cases, this can be behind church shopping. Hopping around trying to find a church where we fit in. We want to find an emotional comfort. I travel a lot and I go to a lot of different cultures. And there are times when I'm in a culture that is so very different from my home culture that I don't feel particularly confident or comfortable. Maybe I'm even confused. But I have spiritual unity with the brothers and sisters in that culture. Just the other day, I spoke with a brother from Mozambique. His home culture is so different from mine, but as we spoke, we had spiritual unity, and it's a joy to fight for spiritual unity, not to try to find things that make me feel good, or actually particularly not to find things that make me feel good about myself, but to fight for spiritual unity, to live by the Spirit. I'm in Russia right now, and uh, There's something about driving in Russia that's a little bit different from driving in the United States. In the United States, we have a phrase, defensive driving. that When you drive, you drive defensively, very carefully to watch out for what may be problems and to back off and be careful. And I say that in Russia, it's offensive driving. (laughs) Here, when driving, people get on the offense a bit more. You're watching out to see who's going to cut you off and who's going to take your spot. And Well, anyway, the thought that came to me about unity was when I'm driving here, I sometimes get frustrated with other drivers. And then I realized that I was most frustrated by people who drive just like I do. That means they want to be in the place where I want to be. They drive at the same speed that I'm driving at, and I find them in my way. But that's because they're really like me. <laughs> and there are times, I think, in the body of Christ, when we're around people that are so much like us that they get on our nerves. <laughs> Can I say that? Can I get an amen? Sometimes the people that are so much like us, they're the ones that bug us the most, and we need to be very humble. Humility is the key to spiritual unity. We need to realize that we are weak, that we are not fully mature, that we are not perfect, that we hurt other people the way that they hurt us. We need to remember that. So we're not fighting or looking for things that make us comfortable. We're looking at spiritual unity. We're trying to be unified in the spirit and make the emotional sense that we have of secondary or tertiary importance. Even where you live, there are different cultures around you. People are very different. And we need to be spiritually discerning, not culturally snobbish. I'll give an example of how this can get into the church. And it's a sad example, actually. A ministry partner of ours in another country here, I won't mention where or who this is. The director of this ministry had somebody working with him who was. Very productive in the ministry. It was a lady who had her own business, was pretty wealthy, and was one of those people that just takes charge and makes things happen. And so she was very active in the ministry, very successful when you judged it certain ways. She was on the leadership team and very actively involved in ministry, particularly to orphans and people in great distress. Also on the leadership team was a lady who was kind of poor. She was a lady, I think was a cleaning lady, but was of lower economic status than this business lady who was so productive. And they lived close to each other, sort of in the same neighborhood. And the poorer lady asked the richer lady if she would give her a ride home so she didn't have to take the bus and take so much time because they're at these same meetings together just asking if she could get a ride home. And the richer lady refused to give her sister in Christ a ride home because the richer lady did not want her neighbors to see the poor friend get out of her car. Isn't that terrible? You know, the richer lady was not fighting for unity, she was more concerned about her status in the eyes of her neighbors. And of course, my question and other people's questions when we heard this story is how can that richer lady be on your leadership team? What sort of example is that? And the response I got was, well, she's very productive. She gets a lot done. Well, to me that's not a good enough answer. We have to fight for unity, we have to serve. We need to live in the kingdom of God and not be concerned about the kingdom of this world. So we fight for spiritual unity, not emotional unity. We fight for spiritual unity, not cultural unity. And we don't even need to be concerned about physical unity in terms of distance, being close to one another. We can have spiritual unity with those who are far from us. Paul even talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, even though I'm not physically present with you, I am with you in spirit. And this is very important particularly in the kind of work that I do where I I bridge cultures and I move between cultures and I'm not physically with some people that I'm very close to spiritually. Someone can be far from us, quite distant from us, thousands of miles away. They can be in a completely different culture, they can have a completely different personality and emotional makeup and we can still have spiritual unity, and we should fight for that unity. God is not limited by political borders. He sees the whole earth. He knows everybody. He binds us all together in love, in unity, in him, and we need to keep that attitude as well. Just because someone is far from us, far from us culturally, far from us emotionally, far from us physically, we can still fight for unity with them. Well, there's a few things that I thought of. What are the principles that we might put into effect in order to work for unity, to make an effort for unity? And the first principle that comes to mind is death to self. We must die to ourselves in order to fight for unity. If we try to assert our rights, if we try to protect ourselves, if we try to set ourselves up in opposition to someone else, well then that is the exact opposite of unity, of fighting for unity. So we need to die to ourselves. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be open. I know that I need to be, well, what would the word be? Offendable. To fight hard enough for unity that I'm close enough that they can actually hurt me, that they can offend me. So, to fight for unity, we have to surrender ourselves. We need to consider other people's needs above our own. Another thing that comes to mind is something that Jesus said need to remove the log from your own eye before trying to take the speck from another person's eye. And I've heard it said that in the Middle East, this is hilarious. This is an example of the humor of Jesus. Uh, just as he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven people back then would have just cracked up the whole idea of a camel trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle or or somebody walking around with a huge beam a big log in my eye and I'm trying to take a little speck out of somebody else's eye when you think about it it's it's pretty funny it's ridiculously funny but that's an important principle for how we fight for unity If we are judging other people and finding fault in other people, we're not fighting for spiritual unity. We're pushing in the opposite direction. We need to look to ourselves and let God do what he's going to do in us and realize that our brothers and sisters around us, they've also got logs in their eyes. They've got specks in their eyes. and Let the Lord do his work in them. And We need to be humble. We really need to be humble, which leads me to the next point, humility. How do we work for unity? Death to self, removing that log from my own eye before trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye, and humility. And there are a few things that help me think about humility. First of all, I actually don't have the same doctrinal beliefs that I had 20 years ago. There's a growth process to being a Christian. Believers start off drinking spiritual milk and then later start eating spiritual meat. I'm growing in the faith. I'm not where I was and I am not where I will be. It takes humility to realize that about ourselves. There is one God. I fully believe in Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and yet there are some things that I understand much more deeply now than I did when I was a young believer. Of course, that's Natural and normal. And when we're talking about fighting for unity, we need to realize that we are changing. We are growing just as the people around us are growing. So we need to have grace for others who are not in the same place that we are in. There's a scripture that says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And each of us should walk in the light that God is revealing to us. Let's encourage each other to walk in the light and give grace to people who are not where we are. God is teaching others all kinds of lessons. Compared to the people around us, we are at very different places sometimes in our walk with the Lord, and we need to have humility. As we fight for spiritual unity, somebody else may not have the same doctrinal conviction about certain things. They may not have the same understanding of how God works Like I said, I'm very different than I was 20 years ago. I'm growing up in the faith, and I am so thankful that mature brothers and sisters have had so much patience with me. I remember talking to a friend of mine, John, many years ago, and I was talking about how I was convicted of a certain situation in my life, and I really needed to address it. And John said, well, I don't have that conviction. And I realized then that God was doing this work deep in me to address a certain part of my personality and who I am. And John just really didn't have that conviction. He and I were at different places. We're dear friends. He's helped me a lot. But I couldn't impose on him this conviction to address a certain thing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we need to let the Holy Spirit be at work in other people's lives. We're not their bosses. Jesus is the head. Now, there's a couple of things to say about that, of course. There are times when we are given authority in somebody's life. They grant us authority, or the Lord calls us to speak into their lives. And we need to do that out of obedience, with love and grace, and a concern for them and for the truth of the Lord. And there are other times when we have to break relationship with people over doctrinal issues. There are times when Christians have to part ways because one group is actually teaching something that is not true to the detriment of young believers, leading people into sin. All of that said, we have to fight for unity. We need to fight for spiritual unity, not seek emotional happiness or emotional unity, not seek cultural unity to have fellowship with people who are in the same culture as we are. Boy, that is so very common. Worldwide, it's common. We need to die to ourselves. We need to remove the logs from our own eyes before we presume to help other people remove a speck from their eyes. We need to have humility. We need to realize that we're growing we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we do that, when everybody does that, walks in the light that God is revealing to him, then we'll have fellowship with one another and we'll have spiritual unity. So, in closing, I'll just loop back a little bit and remind all of us that God calls us to live in harmony. Let us realize that we're not called to be the same as everyone around us but we are called to live in harmony, to make a beautiful music together, to live at peace with all men as much as it's up to us. And I encourage you, pray, and see what the Lord is saying to you about this. Are there people in your life who you need to really fight for spiritual unity with, people that are different from you emotionally, culturally, someone who is very distant from you physically, far away? How do you make an effort to have unity with those people? Well, die to yourself, live in humility, and let the Lord be your head. So friends, until the next time, I pray that God will continue to speak to you, that he will reveal to you his pathways, because his ways are always very good, and they do lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.